You're listening to the North Peace Roundtable podcast, your weekly podcast about theology and the Christian life. That was take two. I feel like you had more <laughs> umph on the second one anyways. <laughs> we are on episode 106. Woo! Already. Uh, yeah. Thanks for tuning in, especially if you're new to the podcast. Uh, like and the- especially if you're old to the podcast. No. Uh, just oh. new people, okay. but uh, yeah, like the intro said, we do this just about every week, and we talk about different topics related to theology or the Bible, or sometimes we have uh, questions come in that we try and answer, so just a thank you to you, the listener, wherever you listen. Leave us a like and a review or all that kind of stuff. So, episode 106, my name is Andrew, with me as always is Corland. Hello, hello. And Cameron is not feeling well today, so yes. he uh, asked him about his trip that he took <laughs> down the stairs, and uh, <laughs> that's so mean. Yeah, <laughs> but no, he uh, texted last night and just said, ah, "I'm not feeling great, and my kid's not feeling great, so I'm gonna miss." So thoughts and prayers, right? Isn't that what all the celebrities say? Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Uh, so uh, episode 106, we've got three questions. We're going to see if we can make it through all three. Yeah, we will. So uh, three questions from two different people. So thanks for sending your questions in. And we're going to just dive right into the weirdest one about golden tumors. So this is going to be great. So 1 Samuel 6, the Philistines. uh, I'm going to just read it as this person wrote it. I think they were just doing like a summary. The Philistines trying to make up to the Israelites by giving back the ark and offering gifts, dot, 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 rats and tumors made of gold. Why would that have been the gift? Question mark. Was it cultural, symbolic, or dot dot dot? Question mark. So if you don't know the story, if you're like, what? Golden rats and tumors? What are they talking about? So in in First Samuel, uh, chapter five. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll summarize it. Uh, but the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. Right. So if you know, that's where the Ten Commandments were kept. That's you know that had the the poles that they would put through. Think Indiana Jones, right? Yep. If you need a visual image, the ark, right? That they open the lid and, and melt the face. Right? So I don't know if that's necessarily true, but this was what they would carry around. And then, you know, the, the top of the ark, you know, the presence of God would come and all that kind of stuff. So the Philistines capture it, take mm-hmm. it back to their country and set it up in the temple to their God, uh, Dagon. And uh, and then it says they wake up the next morning and their god, their statue or whatever, their idol is like face down in front of the ark in like this worshipful pose, like on his face. Um, so then they're like, okay, that's odd. And then it says, then they woke up the next day and the same thing happened. And then the head of their false god and both of his hands were cut off and lying down. Only the trunk of Dagon was left. And said, and then it says the Lord, the hand of the Lord was heavy against them, and He terrified and afflicted them with tumors. Um, and so then now everyone's freaking out in Philistia, right? All the Philistines are like, okay, something we shouldn't have taken this ark. The, the God of the Israelites, His hand is against us, and you know our God is falling over, and now we have tumors, and they're like, okay, we got to give this thing back, yeah, right? Let's return it to Israel because tumors are breaking out, okay, and. Chapter 6, this is where I'll read the first little bit. It says, The ark of the Lord 
was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us what we shall tell tell us with what we shall send it to its place. They said, If you send away the ark of the of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. And they said, What is the guilt offering that we should return to him? They answered, Five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for the same plague was on all of you and on our lords. So you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you and your gods and your land. Uh, And so then that's what they do. And then they attach the ark to these two cows and the cows kind of... Pull the on a cart. Yeah, uh, take the cart or take the ark back to Israel. So what? Wild. What in the world is going on? Why? I guess this person's question is: I feel like what's this, what's the deal with like the golden tumors and the golden? I feel like this is one of those stories in the in the Old Testament where you can be like tracking perfectly well. You're like, okay, yeah, the Philistines have it. Okay, yeah, they want to bring it back. Okay, what? Tum- tumors of gold? What? Images of their tumors and rats or mice, depending on your translate. What? Yeah. Why? Why on earth that? Right. When when Corlin and I started first started talking about this, there was like massive confusion between us because <laughs> I thought the way Corlin was talking, I'm like, no, buddy, they didn't like cut off their tumors and dip them in gold. And you're like, no, no, no. But then you were talking about radiation and but, cancer, and I'm like, no. But do you think they put oh, cancer man. in the ark? <laughs> so. This is actually a perfect time to plug it. If you haven't already, go back and listen to our how to disagree well or how to uh, yeah. how to because Andrew and I had to practice those like, things of being like trying to communicate and figure out what each other so was saying. Funny. It was really I'm funny. I'm like, no, they're not real tumors. I know. No. I I'm like, okay, I'm so <laughs> confused. Um, oh, so man. what what's going on here? Like, what? Yeah. Why why gold tumors? Why gold mice? And then even verse five is interesting. So you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. So I don't know, Corlin, do you want to go first? Do you have thoughts? Like what's going on here? Yeah, I think uh, one of the first things that is interesting is that uh, Canaanite religion, um, it like the idea of making images of things is not uncommon to other uh religions at the time to other people at the time uh so images often uh i think because north american christianity we get stuck really hard on that we're made in the image of god well they would be making images of their gods uh or making images of different things to be able to worship uh and so to make an image of something to offer it as a sacrifice is not actually all that far off in our in our cultural context we're like why in the world mm-hmm. but to them those kinds of practices make sense yeah um you have to remember that the the uh people of the the philistines are living in the same area of the world as the israelites um so some of these things although twisted drastically from what yahweh would have his people do there is some semblance uh because you know, we live in the same world. Some of the, the, yeah, the devil twists what God has already created. Um, yeah. So, so to make an image of something isn't that far off is what I'm trying to mainly say with that. Yeah. Um, 
it is interesting that they are told to make images of something that is afflicting them to offer it as a guilt offering. Like the wording specifically is used as, as a guilt offering, which is something we already know about, mm -hmm. but it's interesting to wonder, uh, what they mean by that. If whoever was writing for Samuel, uh, was writing that in an Israelite context, or if he was trying to, you know, use the wording that the Philistines would have used, uh, that I find really interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think you're right. Like ancient religions, not, not even just the Israelites, but you see, you see it in the Israelites as well. The idea was I'm, I'm looking at some study notes that I read. Um, their protocol for like worship was that you cannot approach your God empty handed. So think about Exodus twenty three fifteen. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. As I command you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it, you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty handed. And then Deuteronomy 16, uh, 16 says three times a year all your males shall appear before the lord your god at the place that he will choose at the feast of unleavened bread at the feast of weeks and at the feast of booths they shall not appear before the lord empty-handed so what there was this kind of an uh, ancient religious thing that like when you come before a god so in this case the one true god even is like you have to bring an offering some kind of offering yeah. you can't come empty-handed and yeah the canaanite religion and the you know, uh, the Philistines worshipped Dagon. That was one of their gods. They would have done the same. We have to bring some kind yep. of like offering. offering. You can't yeah. just show up, right, empty-handed and be like, here I am, God that I worship. Because the idea was like, you can't do that. You have to bring some kind of yeah. thing. Um, and so you have then the Philistine priests. The first time I read it, I was like, oh, the Philistines went to like the Israelite priests for advice. No, no. this is their priests, yep. which is helpful to remember. Yep. This is the Philistine priests of their god, Dagon. And they're like, okay, what do, what do we do with it? And so the Philistine priests, probably knowing their own cultural practices, are like, well, if you send it back, you can't send back their ark empty-handed. You have to give some kind of... Yeah. And they call it a guilt offering. You got to give something yep. to be like, sorry, sorry for stealing your ark or yeah. whatever, right? Um, I'm just going to read what this guy wrote because I think it was helpful. Um, uh, it says, although such an offering was normally an animal sacrifice, occasionally money or other valuables were acceptable. So uh, even if you think, uh, if you flip, I don't know if people listen to our podcast with a Bible. I'm just so used to saying like, turn in your Bibles. Yeah. Uh, in Second Kings 12, uh, verse 16 it says that uh, the money from the guilt offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It belonged to the priests. So it wasn't always an animal that they killed. Sometimes people brought money as a, a guilt offering or a sin offering. Um, so sometimes it was valuables. It was like, okay, I'm going to go take, you know, this $100 or whatever as my, my guilt offering or my sin offering or whatever. So um, that's kind of, I think, what's happening here. They're like, we're not going to kill some animals, but what could we make? And then it says, uh, this guy says, verse 4, by linking tumors, rats, and the plague, strengthens the theory that the tumors were symptoms of bubonic plague spread yep. by an infestation yep. of rats. Um, the Philistine advisors recommended gold models of tumors. 
tumors and rats to serve as the guilt offering to placate the God of Israel. Perhaps they intended the models to function in the realm of sympathetic magic so that by sending them out of their land, the genuine articles will depart. So if you think yeah. about they, they, um, they, they call priests and diviners who yeah. are magicians, for yeah. lack of a better yeah. term. So I think that what you're seeing here is like, okay, we, there's a, this ancient religion, this concept. We got to give a gift, some kind of gift to this God. Yeah, and in their context, they, so I know at the beginning I said it's a guilt offering. Are they looking at that from an Israelite perspective? Are they looking at it? Yeah. So regardless of the word that's here, we, have to, we need to recognize that the Philistines probably don't know how Yahweh operates. And oh, so yeah. in yep. their worship of Baal and their worship of Dagon and their worship of all their other gods, uh, this kind of guilt offering is probably more of like an appeasement of like, please, yeah, totally. like, uh, it, like, uh, I don't know if it's the right term, but it's like a spiritual crossing of the fingers. Like, please let this work yeah, yeah. to, to get these boils and these tumors or, or rats to go away. Uh, so they don't actually know f in their context, they probably don't know if this will actually work. It's kind of like, well, yeah. here's our best shot, I guess. And I think the, the whole, like the, the magical superstitious part would be like, okay, maybe if we make like a representation of the tumor and the mouse that are the, the rats that are, and then we kind of like send them away, maybe like magically yeah. the, the actual things will like follow and leave us. Yeah. And so, yeah, they make these golden tumors not their actual tumors dipped in gold <laughs> right Corland? yeah um yeah. but they make these kind of representative golden images of tumors and mice and then send it away as like you know like you said crossing your fingers maybe this will work and we'll be free from this like plague that's going on yeah. right and it seems to to work right they they attach it to um, this two milk cows are tied to a cart and they put the ark of the Lord. I'm reading in verse 11. They put the ark of the Lord on the cart and the box with the golden mice and images of their tumors. The cows went straight in the de direction of Beth Shemesh along one highway lowing as they went. Right. Yeah. That's a good cow. Impression. That was pretty good. They didn't go to the right or the left. And it says the people lifted their eyes and there's the ark coming back to them and they rejoiced. Um, and then they make an, make an offering. Um, and it says that, uh, hold on. Uh, and then the five Lords of the Philistines saw it. So they're watching it. Okay. They've accepted the ark and then they returned back to their own cities. Um, yeah, and then I'm just trying to I'm refreshing my memory on that. Uh, and it says that yeah, each each uh, of these five golden tumors represented the five lords of the Philistines, hmm. and da, da, da. and it never says like, and it worked. We're never told. Yeah, right. We're never told if God was like, we. I think we're, we're assuming that God's like, okay, I won't give you tumors anymore. But it actually never tells us yeah. if it actually worked or not. It just said that they did, and then the ark comes back and. And then the we Philistines keep following are, the story from there. Yeah, and it just then the next passage is about Samuel judging Israel and Israel demanding a king and yeah. Saul being a So I love that. <clears throat> excuse me. I love that we're not told like, and it worked. And there from then thenceforth there were no more tumors in the Philistines. Like it doesn't tell us. Yeah, we're like, okay, we got the ark back. That's yeah. the main point of the story, right? Yeah. So. There you go. So yeah, in our context, it would make no sense to you know 
take something negative about ourselves, whether it's a health condition or uh, yeah, cause anything like, like that, and to offer it up and say, like, please uh, take these things away kind of thing. Not, not, in a, and not in our North American Christian culture. I'll put it that way. Maybe there is cultures within our well yeah in north america like let's say like uh you know the canadian military like went down and stole the ark of the covenant well i was gonna say like the declaration of independence or whatever right and then we brought it back uh but like our cultures i'm i was gonna say we're not like religious we are we just worship different things we don't we don't name our gods dagon and don't necessarily make images no but we worship money and beauty and all those kind of things but it it would be like it just seems foreign to us because, you know, if we went down and, and ransacked the United States and stole their their most precious thing, their which freedom. I get, <laughs> stole their freedom. <laughs> but then it was like, it, you know, if we then something terrible happened and we had to give it back, we like we wouldn't do that. We might offer like, here's a million dollars. Sorry for stealing. And a golden eagle. Yeah. See, but like it just... When you read, that's why sometimes the Bible seems so strange because this is like ancient cultures, which they, everything that they did was connected to something spiritual. Yeah. And in our day and age, I, it's still the same, but we've just denied that. And there is no spiritual and it's all just material. And so then you read stuff like that and you're like, what in the world? But for them, this was probably super normal. Yeah. We got to give something. Well, we got tumors. Yeah. Let's give some gold tumors. Maybe that'll work, right? And it's yeah. like, it just, that wouldn't have seemed <clears throat> strange to them. Yeah. We just read it and we go, what in so the world? So even at, like, I mean, I'm sure most of us are familiar with the Old Testament sacrificial system, but even my mind is even going back to Genesis when Cain and Abel brings uh, offerings to the Lord, right? Like starting there already, we see this pattern of people yeah. recognizing that to a... To one that in the Hebrew language you would call an Elohim or Elohim himself, you would bring an offering. So yeah, yeah, not not all that uncommon. So there you go, the golden tumor question solved. And what were the tumors themselves? I don't know whether uh, your your studies were saying bubonic plague. Uh, tumors always make me think of cancer. I, I who knows. And then didn't you say that the Ark of the Covenant like cures oh, cancer or something? No, oh not cures gosh. cancer. I. Okay, fascinating. We'll, we'll give this as like a little nugget of like just a brain teaser. I'll try and explain it better this time so that uh, it actually makes sense. This is not the theory so that Andrew this, and I are yeah, landing on. But this this is why I was like, because he was talking about radiation and people guarding the, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll the ark. It. And I'm like, but they're not real tumors in the ark, man. I'll, I'll explain this uh, and try and do better than when I talk to you about it. So like I said, this this would be what I would consider a conspiracy theory. Uh, and not actually what we'd be landing on. It's just something that like on initial thought, my mind was like, Oh, Whoa, that's a weird connection. But as I studied, I was like, yeah, no, I don't think that's actually the, the correct connection to be making. (laughs) Um, so, uh, if you are familiar with the Ark of the Covenant, Israel, uh, Israel's God, Yahweh is the one who would have his presence come and sit on the Ark. Uh, if you touch it, you die kind of thing, uh, throughout history, History happens with it, and then at one point, we kind of just lose track of where it is. Um, Most people would say that they don't know where the Ark is. Um, It's in that warehouse. But there's a few, yeah. In In Indiana Indiana Jones. Jones. Yeah, Indiana Jones knows where it is. Um, But that being said, there is, uh, 
there is a group of people that claim that they actually have it and that they've been guarding it. Uh, and so those people that have been guarding it, um, there's a, an individual by the name of Graham Hancock. And some of you probably hear that name and you're like, I have no idea who that is. Others probably are like, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So like I said, conspiracy theory. Um, and he claims to have gone and talked with a lot of those monks that guard the supposed Ark of the Covenant. And apparently throughout generations, those monks have been going blind from radiation there's a there's a certain type of radiation that causes blindness similar to the sun and so then i was like oh man if the philistines took the ark and it was radiating and god wasn't protecting them from that because they're not supposed to have it then maybe they got cancerous tumors and that's what they're blah 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 it's a whole trail like i said as i thought about it as i studied i was like yeah i don't think oh, that that's man. the right trail to be following it's with like this. Um, my father-in-law loves the the show the curse of oak island and all yeah the, like, i can see it yeah i'm like there's been like 12 seasons of this thing we're gonna find the treasure i'm like uh father-in-law i don't think there's a treasure <laughs> could be wrong but yeah that's that was a, a fun thing that anyways yeah when i heard that i was like did that make more sense when i explained it this time? yeah this time okay. but i was like okay wait so you think that they're getting cancer in their in their eyes because what it's actual. oh man yeah i must have butchered because i'm like but they're time. not real tumors corlin there's no real tumors in the ark <laughs> so anyways like there little you go. chicken nugget tumors they yeah. just cut them off dip them in gold and serve them <laughs> oh gosh so there we go the mystery of first samuel 6 <laughs> it was largely cultural <laughs> All right, question number two from wow. the same person. So this person Ooh. is just thinking questions. I like it. Uh, Matthew eleven fourteen. 14. Uh, is Jesus implying that John the Baptist is Elijah? If so, then Elijah has already appeared again. If not, what does Jesus mean? Matthew 14, you said? Uh, Matthew 11. Matthew 11. So in Matthew 11, um, John the Baptist is in prison. And if you remember, he he sends a message to Jesus, being like, "Are you the one we're to look for, or is there someone else coming?" And uh, Jesus kind of answers his question, right? The the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are healed. Uh, Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. And so then it says, as they went away, John or Jesus turned to the crowds and talks about John. Says, "What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Uh, a reed shaken by the wind." What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this person is like, I think also asking like, okay, what does that mean? Yeah. Maybe we'll just assume that Jesus or John the Baptist is Elijah. And okay, is Jesus saying that he is Elijah? And if so, are we waiting for another Elijah or has Elijah yeah. already appeared? What does Jesus mean uh, by saying this? So I think a good place to start with a question like this is uh, in the very first place, who is Elijah? Uh, yeah. I think that that's probably a good place to start because if we're looking at it, is this Elijah? Is this 
you know, is this Elijah comeback kind of thing? I think we need to first of all know who Elijah is. So Elijah was a prophet, ooh, ooh, and he kind of really got it. I was trying to go off the VeggieTales riff. Of like <laughs> Jonah was a prophet, ooh, ooh, uh, didn't really work. But Elijah was a prophet, uh, and uh, don't confuse him with Elisha, his, his protege, his, his apprentice. Yes. Uh, I don't know. Do you have what would you share about Elijah? Yeah, I mean, I think Elijah was considered one of the greatest prophets. Um, what do prophets do? Yeah. So Elijah, uh, see, his ministry was when we think about prophets, we often think Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, people that uh, kind of wrote our prophetic books in the Old Testament. And yeah, because Elijah doesn't have a book. No, um, but he he basically, yeah, called people back to God, pointed out sin. Um, people came to him to hear from God. Um, so it was kind of in those days when, you know, I need a, I need a word from the Lord, so I'm going to go to the prophet, and he's going to tell me what God's wanting me to do. And then Elijah performed, like, a ton of miraculous things. Yeah. Um, and so probably the most famous story of Elijah is when he confronted the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and is like, okay, we're going to have a contest, right? You you offer sacrifices to your God and I'll offer sacrifices to Yahweh. And whoever like answers us with fire from heaven, that's the, that's the true God. So if you remember the story, the Philistines uh, or the prophets of Baal, are calling down fire from heaven and cutting themselves and Elijah's trolling them, which is hilarious. This yep. is a case of trolling in the Bible. He's like, oh, so good. yell louder. Maybe he's on the toilet. Yell louder. Maybe he's on a trip and all this kind of stuff. Just like, it's amazing yeah. mocking them. And then Elijah actually dumps a whole bunch of water on his altar, fills like a, a, a trough around it with water. And then he just says a simple prayer and fire from heaven falls down and, and then they slaughter all the prophets of Baal. So, I mean, the person of Elijah is a really interesting character and he was seen as like, this is the prophet. Like yeah. he's the best. He's the real deal. He's the real deal. And he was one that uh, actually never died. He was just taken to heaven. Similar was that, a, was that Elisha? No, that was Elijah. Cause I remember Elisha was like similar to Moses. They don't actually, it says in Deuteronomy that to this day, we have no idea where he's buried. Right. And yeah, and the way it's but written he died, he physically died. Yeah. And Elijah never physically died. Yeah. God just came and was like, I'm going to take you to heaven now. Yeah. So it's super awesome. I was going to say weird, but yeah, it's amazing. So yeah. then you read the very last book of uh, the old Testament, the last prophetic book we have, uh, Malachi, not Malachi. Hey, it's a Malachi. I think Malachi is a much better pronunciation. And in Malachi chapter four, the very last like words of the Old Testament, it's predicting this day of the Lord coming. And then um, it says in verse five, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So then there was this kind of Jewish thought um, that before the Messiah comes, before the great day of the Lord, Elijah's going to come. And yeah. there was different veins of thought. Some thought literally. Elijah, uh, Elijah, never, Elijah never died. God just took him to heaven. Yeah. So he's going to come in the flesh. 
And then others, which I think the majority was like someone in the spirit of Elijah, someone who has the same kind of spirit and message and power, that kind of thing is going to come. And then, you know, 500 years later, uh, John the Baptist Baptist shows up and he's a lot like Elijah living out in the wilderness and wearing, you know, weird clothes and eating weird food and preaching repentance and the kingdom of God. And so then there, you can read about it because even John the Baptist is like, no, I'm not Elijah. I'm just a messenger. Yeah. And there's people going, is this Elijah? This kind of seems like it's the guy. Yeah. And so that's when Jesus says, like, um, if you're willing to accept it, John the Baptist is Elijah who is to come. Yeah. So what two things Jesus is saying that he is the Messiah because the yep. Elijah comes to prepare, Which is huge to prepare the way for the Messiah, the day of the Lord. And so he's saying, yeah, John the Baptist prepared the way for me. John the Baptist is Elijah. Yeah. Meaning Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. M- Elijah would have been the archetype for who John the Baptist is then. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I don't think, uh, when Malachi says that like, you know, behold, I'm going to send Elijah. I don't think he means literally the actual physical Elijah. I think it's, yeah. yeah, Elijah is a type. He's a shadow yeah, of someone who's to come in the same kind of spirit and message. Yeah. So this isn't the only place that Jesus would point to other things in the, in what we know as the old Testament to them, just the scriptures, uh, that, is a typecast or that would be something that he's drawing off of Old Testament uh, imagery and and the happenings in the Old Testament to prove something that he is the Messiah, that he is who he says he is. So uh, the Pharisees, I believe it is, at one point asked Jesus, what sign will you give us? And he says, I'm only going to give you the sign of Jonah. Right. It's like, well, Jonah's already happened. So like, is Jesus going to get swallowed by a fish and go to Nineveh and preach the gospel? Like, what <laughs> what's happening here? And right? like, and And I think... For some of those examples, us as Christians now can look and say, okay, yes, that note that Jesus is just saying that he's going to die and raise again in three days and the good news is going to change lives. Yeah. Um, but then there's other examples like this where we get caught up and say, wait, uh, like this doesn't quite make sense. So I think um, when it comes to the things that Jesus says, um, we have to remember that the people that he's speaking to and even himself uh they they were incredibly uh what's the i think the word that i would use is just soaked in old testament theology they were soaked in old testament um wording and and know all of those symbols and stuff like that symbols and signs whatever you want to say uh and so yeah as jesus says some of these things there would have been some people that like what you said some people would be like wait so elijah literally has to come back but then there'd be other people that understand like Oh, right. Elijah did those things. So we're, we're going to be looking for someone like Elijah then. Right. Uh, so I, yeah, it's something that throughout scripture, we see promises of different people returning, uh, not different people. Sorry. Let me reword that. That was a very poor wording. Um, we see a promise of someone to come that is like the, the people of old. So even at the end of Deuteronomy, uh, it says that a, a prophet has never arisen like Moses. Yeah. Uh, and so yep. that's, that should be a clue that we're looking there. There's a longing, a hoping for someone who's going to come and intercede on behalf of the people with Yahweh, yeah. like Moses. We haven't had that. Then you have someone like Elijah and, and promises of a return of Elijah before the yep. Messiah 
uh, comes to do his work. We have prom- like those kinds of things. When we when we see Jesus or or even the New Testament authors make those connections, that's what they're doing. They're going back right. and saying, right, like yes, we we've been expecting this. Jesus is this pro- the greater yeah. prophet that we've been waiting for, the perfect prophet, the perfect sacrifice, the per- like yeah. so on and so forth. Yeah. That's good. So I don't know if this person, the way they were asking is like, are we still waiting for an Elijah type figure? Ah, fair, fair. And I know that there are, you know, more, more charismatic, more whatever that are like, yeah, at the end, before Jesus returns, we're going to see powerful people operating in signs and wonders like, and that's Elijah to come. And, but I think it's pretty clear that Jesus says like, yeah, John the Baptist was it. Now, I think the confusion is because when you read in Malachi 4, right, the day of the Lord, many many of us yeah. assume the end of the world. But you have to understand that, like, in Scripture, there have been multiple days of the Lord, and there is yeah. a, a final day of the Lord, right? So... A day uh, of the Lord is uh, in Scripture contextually is is basically when God pronounces judgment on any people. Yeah, so when Babylon came and destroyed... Israel and took them to captivity. That was a day of the Lord. Yep. And um, when Jesus came the first time, that was a day of the Lord. And so when Malachi says, like, Elijah's going to come before the day of the Lord, uh, I think that he was talking about Jesus' incarnation, his first coming. Yep. And then there is, like, a capital D, the day of the, the Lord. The final the day. The final day. So I don't think we're waiting uh, for an Elijah-type person or, like, you know, I've heard it said so many different ways, like a whole uh, a movement in the spirit of Elijah and like a, a generation yeah. operating in the spirit of Elijah. And, uh, we don't. He came. John the Baptist was Elijah. Yeah. Right. Jesus says, if you're willing to accept it. Yeah. Then that's it. So we're not waiting for another Elijah type person before the end of the world uh, that took place already. Yeah. Yeah. Question number three. Absolutely ripping through these today. Just ripping there, bud. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, Coolio Jet's about 20% there, bud. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure there, bud. Um, all right, last question. Philippians 4.8 talks about thinking about things that are lovely, honorable, etc. And don't worry, we'll read it. Etika. Etika. What does that actually mean? What does it look like practically? I think this person said like, okay, so is it the Sunday school? Like, just think about Jesus. Or like, I think they're just yes. wanting to have like a, like practically, okay, the Bible tells us to do this. What does that, what does it actually look like? So Philippians 4, um, uh, 8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what does that actually mean, Corland? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> All know. right, this has been I, episode 106. I give up. These questions, I give right? up. So the first thing I thought was, well, what is the context? Yep, that's ex- actually exactly because where Philippians four eight is a verse that yeah we put on a coffee mug and we're like yes think about these things, but if you read the whole thing, if even if you just go back a couple 
verses, like verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then in verse 9, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So the context, I like that Paul's talking about like prayer, bringing your request to God. He's talking about anxiousness. You don't need to be anxious yeah. about things, but actually just give those things over to Jesus. I'd say he's talking about finding joy in the Lord. Yeah, and the and about peace that can actually guard your heart and your mind. So then it's like that's the context. That's that's well, the bubble yeah. So we're think in. about what what. So anxiousness is huge in our culture. Yeah. Um. And so Paul says, don't be anxious. Pray about bring all of your anxiousness to Jesus. Uh. And the peace of God will actually guard your heart and your mind. And then he says, think about these things. Yeah. So it's connected to my prayer life and yeah. my anxiousness. Yeah. Because right, think about what makes anxiousness worse. Is like, and I don't, I've never struggled with anxiousness. I know you have, so you yeah. can speak more to it because you're just thinking about scenarios that might happen, correct? Yeah. That's part, of, yeah, one aspect of it. Yeah. So the way that I explain anxiety uh, or anxious thoughts, uh, depending on what, depending on how you would explain it for myself, uh, it always looked like I'd be, it felt like I'd be living life and then an anxious thought would happen. And then it would just be like this incredibly rapid spiral to like worst case scenarios that just kept getting worse and yeah. worse and yeah. worse. Uh, and so in my mind, those scenarios felt like they were real could happen, but not just could as in like, Oh yeah, that's a maybe it's like, no, this is like such a real threat that I'm absolutely terrified that this is going to happen. Yeah. So even, even in those moments uh, for myself, the way I experienced it, there was moments that within that fear, I could be like, okay, that's ridiculous. But that fear was so overwhelming that I couldn't, it, it was impossible for myself to like knock myself off of that track yeah. of thought. Yeah. Uh, and so I think what Paul's doing here is actually, um, it's just so wise. I mean, I think we, in our culture, I think we think we have it figured out when it comes to, to mental health and when it comes to our spirituality. Yeah. But man, Paul's got some stuff figured out here. Yeah, uh, totally. One of the best ways, uh, just practically speaking, to to help with anxiety uh, is to n knock yourself off that track by recognizing what is actually true yeah. in that scenario. Yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> isn't that the first thing that he says? Yeah. Focus on what is true. Yeah. Think right. about what One, is true. Rejoice. Verse four. Yeah. Right? And I'll say it again. <clears throat> rejoice. So that can be something that, you know, you're struggling with anxious thoughts to actually like rejoice in the good that God has done in your life. Yeah. And that's like you're saying, it's kind of like trying to knock you off that spiral yeah. of anxiousness. So, and, and then, yeah, bringing it by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So again, being thankful for the things that you have. And then you bring your request to God and God's peace. And then it's like thinking about things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy. So That's what you should think about. Not, oh, I'm going to die because blah, blah, blah. Yeah. He's like, no, don't think about those things, right? Yeah. So I'll give you, a, so our daughter Lucy at nighttime has been struggling with, I think, kind of anxious thoughts of like, 
Yeah. I'm never going to fall asleep. And then uh, it's funny to me because like my wife is much more understanding because I'm like, that's the dumbest thing. Just go to bed. (laughs) Right. Because I don't, I've never had those kind of anxious thoughts. Yeah. But then she'll look at the clock and it's not, it's already nine o'clock. It's already nine o'clock. I haven't fallen asleep yet. I'm never going to fall asleep. Yeah. So what we've actually been doing that seems to be helping is like, and it's, it's hard to reason with a nine-year-old at nighttime. Yeah. But we're like, no, Lucy, you're believing a lie. Yeah. You were believing. Did you fall asleep last night? Yes. Did you fall asleep the night before? Yeah. I'm like, you're believe. You're telling yourself a lie that you're never going to fall asleep, and you know that's not true. You need to tell the truth to yourself, right? Yeah. Similar, right? Like, yeah. start thinking about things that yeah. are true. Don't believe lies. Yeah. Right, and. Then we'll, we'll pray with her, right? We're filling our minds with things and we're praying that God would actually give her peace in her mind so that she can actually fall asleep. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's kind of what Paul's saying, yeah. right? So there's a there's a couple of things. And I, because the topic of, of uh, mental health and anxiety and, and depression, those are really heavy, really sensitive topics. So I don't want... When, when I say some of these things, I don't want to patronize anyone because... Uh, when you're in those moments or if you struggle with yeah. it, it feels when, when somebody says, well, this well, helps pray about it. It yeah. doesn't, yeah. that, that feels like something that's like, well, no, that does nothing. Yeah. Um, so I, there's a few things that I, uh, that I've learned just practically from a scientific perspective that have helped me grasp this and even understand, I think what Paul is saying that degree better that has helped me. Uh, and so one of the things that's, really cool about our human minds Mm -hmm. is we can actually process at about 800 ish words a minute, which is insanely fast. Like if you've ever, the example that I give is if you ever have one of those moments where you like trip and fall and then you notice that the oven is turned to 350 degrees as you're falling. And then you look at everyone's face and you're like, Oh man, this is going to hurt. And then you like that happens in a fraction of a second that you think about all of these things. Our minds do that. So when you get into those anxious, anxious thoughts, that's your brain is starting to think in that fast of a cycle where you're just rapid firing thoughts. And that's why it feels like you're doing well. And then suddenly it just drops Ooh. out from underneath you. Yeah. Um, what's interesting though, is we can actually only speak at about 125 words a minute. Uh, and so what, what I think Paul is getting at here is when we think, when we force ourselves to stop, we're actually, the the imagery that I use is we derail that train yeah yeah and we slow ourselves down to say whoa 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 okay I'm thinking about these things but what is true in this scenario yeah, totally yeah uh, so for myself uh, some of the anxiety that I had was crazy like I'd be I'd be at work living my life doing well and then suddenly I'd have an anxiety attack and end up basically hiding where the cameras in the shop couldn't see me and like shaking and and basically in tears because I was just so anxious. I couldn't do anything. Uh, And so what one of the things like what Paul's talking about here, the things that I did were to stop and remind myself of what is true, what is good, what is perfect, what is admirable, whatever words are in this passage. Um, And so for me, that looked like I would stop and say, okay, first of all, even if those worst fears happen, I know that God is good. I, I have nothing in my life to suggest otherwise. I have nothing in scripture to suggest otherwise. And I believe that scripture is true. Yeah. And, and for myself, um, I don't think that I'm, 
I want to preface this by saying I don't think that I was calling into any specific powers or anything like that. No. But the practicality of of forcing yourself to say things out loud is, I think, really helpful to oh, slow so your, that process. Your words created your reality. No, absolutely not. <laughs> that, just kidding. But that being said, if you're thinking at 800 words a minute and you have to speak out loud, your yeah. brain can't match those two together incredibly well. So your brain has to slow down at least somewhat. Yes. Uh, and so to, to remind myself, okay, I know the gospel is true. I know that God does love me and care for me and will work all things out for my good. And that doesn't necessarily mean my prosperity, but right. that means that in the end, my sanctification, the, the, his will for me, which is my sanctification, will be worked out. Yeah. Um, I know that there's people that care about me and that love me. Yeah. I know like those kinds of things. I would, I would lay out the baseline and then start working to like, okay, uh, these things that I have thought, what if this happens? The first wording in my sentence is a what if. Right. That for me, that takes away from the power of those scenarios in my mind because it, it is just that it's a what if yeah. it's not a reality. Yeah. Um, and so again, like Paul says to think about what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and mm -hmm. admirable. I don't think what Paul is telling us is to think about sunshine and lollipops and rainbows and stuff. I think he's trying to tell us like, think about what Yahweh has done. Yeah. Think yeah. about what he is going to do. Yeah. Um, because those are the things that, that our hope actually comes from. It's not to, to just yeah. think, Oh man, I'm really nervous about, I, I don't know. I, I really don't want to try and throw any examples that make people feel weird, but like what if your anxiety is that you won't have enough food to eat? Sure. Then to know that God is your provider is a yeah. truth that you can land on. Yeah. And to know that, you know, if God chooses to provide for you for another day, praise be to God. Yeah. Um, and if not, then there comes a time where you would be with him and yeah. praise God. Cause that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, those, those fears, the fear of death, the fear of, of yeah, judgment yeah. and shame, those no longer have a hold on you because of what Christ has done. So when we remind ourselves of that, it, it literally does help us to, to move away from our own fears yeah. and, and those anxious patterns. That yeah. doesn't mean that it's not a process though. Yeah. Um, but that's where I would start. I think that's what Paul is getting at. Is yeah. it's, it's an encouragement to his people, uh, his church, to say, "Hey, like, come on, you you guys yeah. can do this. Think yeah. about these things." Yeah, that's good. So uh, yeah, you know, to answer like, what exactly is the thing that Paul's saying to think about? I think you just nailed it. Like, I I automatically thought of the sound of music, right? Uh, rainbows on <laughs> yeah. kittens. Rainbows whatever. on kittens <laughs> I think and whiskers it. on mittens. And whiskers on mittens. When the dog bites, yeah. Uh, I simply remember my, and then I don't feel so bad. I don't think that's what Paul's getting no. at. Just like think of like cute things. Um, I think it's exactly right because right when you're struggling with anxiousness, I think you you're believing lies, right? Yeah. That you think are true. Or think could be or true. Or think could be true or scenarios that could happen and then you start spiraling. So I think Paul's saying, like, don't do that, but bring it to the Lord in prayer and then God's peace will guard your heart and your mind. And here's how you do it. Like, start thinking about things that are actually true and which I, it's the Sunday school answer, but it is true. All of those attributes, whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, 
it is Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we laugh. I think sometimes we laugh at like, oh, it's just the Sunday school yeah. answer. A lot of times the Sunday school answer is right. Yeah. But then it's exactly that. Like, okay, so I'm anxious because, you know, I know lots of people struggle with anxiety about health stuff. Yep. I'm anxious about my health and this doctor's appointment and this and that. And then you start going like, what if I die? And what if this? And it's like, well, okay, think through what's true about God. Can he heal you? Yeah, he can. Yep. Does he care about your physical health? Yes, he does. Yeah. Um, if, if you die, is that the worst thing in the world that will happen to you? No, it won't. If you're in Christ, this is a win-win situation, yeah. right? If I die, I joked with uh, my wife yesterday. She said something about like, you know, if I die, then I get to be with Jesus. And I'm like, yeah. And then if you die, I get your life insurance. <laughs> Oh, it's a win-win and then I got slapped so uh <laughs> just kidding but but it's thinking about those things that are true right yeah. so okay actually I don't have to be anxious about the call from the doctor yeah you know and it's easy to say and I again uh, I don't is. want you to it hear is. me like patronizing you like don't be anxious that's not what I'm getting at but I think a lot of times is we don't do this what Paul's saying we just spiral and yep. then what if it is cancer? And then I am going to lose my job. And then I have to go through chemo. And then my, and you're just like, oh man, you're yeah. going to a darker and darker and darker place yeah. rather than I, like you said about like kind of trying to get it off the track yep. by being like, okay, if I, I might get a call and it might be a great report from yeah. the doctor, praise God, I yeah. can continue with my life. And, and you know what, if it's a bad report from the doctor, are all of these things still true about Jesus? And pr- worthy of praise? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you know what? And He'll that's a hard, hard posture to have, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's where f- even then the the attitude towards recognizing that God's will for us, what, what does he want to happen in my life is sanctification. It's not necessarily that he wants us to be perfectly healthy yeah. in this life. Yeah. He wants us to become more like Christ. And so... Man, the scenarios that people go through where where the pressures of tomorrow or the anxiety of tomorrow are yeah. so massive. Like, man. Well, even I, Jesus talks about that. Yeah. It's like, why are you worried about tomorrow? Yeah. It's like, today has enough stress. Yeah. <laughs> Which but is but so it's true. true. Because today has stress, we often then turn to tomorrow and, and yeah. freak out. And, and like, man, you and I have it pretty good. We don't have to freak out very often. And there are people that yeah. have much scarier scarier scenarios scarier. <laughs> um so i yes. i think one of the things that uh it was actually don here at the church he's been on the podcast before if you're a new listener he's one of the pastors here yeah one of the real pastors here um <laughs> and i remember when i was struggling with my anxiety i actually went to him one time and i uh i have no idea what brought me to the point other than maybe the grace of god or that or maybe uh, it felt dumb but i was going and starting to talk to people about the things that were making me anxious yeah um like just laying it flat out on the table and saying like these are the scenarios that are running through my head and this is why i'm freaking out right now uh and don feels bad about it after i told him because he forgot that he did this but one of the times i went through and i like told him like piece by piece this is what i see coming and Don laughed at me. <laughs> Not quite that hard, oh, but he laughed and was like, that's ridiculous. And by the grace of God, that for me, that was what I needed in that moment. Cause yeah. I was like, Oh yeah. You're oh, right. like, the, Oh, this is laughable that I'm ner- scared that this is going to happen. <laughs> No, no, that, that might said, not be everyone's. That might not be everyone's yeah, yeah, reaction. That might not be like God in your scenario, you there might be like legitimate threats that could happen. Sure. 
Um, but it's like God knew what you needed. You needed you needed to laugh at this scenario. Yeah. To go like, yeah, wait a second. Hold this up. is a little ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And so then, um, like, in our scenarios, I think, again, what that brought me to was to recognize, again, the things that are true, the things that we actually get our hope from. Instead of hoping that we have a good tomorrow so that we are comfortable, so that we feel like we have enough money, so that we feel like all these things, uh, yeah. Yeah. God doesn't actually... Like he'll provide those things as yeah. much as we need for our time here on earth and praise be to him for that. Yeah. Uh, but to then be okay with the fact that we don't know what tomorrow brings. And so we yeah. live uh, in this wonderfully rich tension of seeking God and his wisdom uh, to live well in the moments that he gives us yeah. Yeah. Um, and to honor and praise him for those things. That's good. Good word, brother Corland. So hopefully that's been helpful. I, I think it's a good, uh, example too of like sometimes you read a few verses before and a few verses after and suddenly you go like oh yeah. okay like I get what Paul means right rather than just reading a verse like the context of it goes okay I think he's talking about like our thought life and anxiousness and like yeah. how we deal with it so and, uh, do and, that when you study the Bible when you hear these kind of slogan e type verses that we just kind of throw out yeah it's like oh what's the what's Paul yeah, talking about here. And depending on your Bible, it could be helpful. It could also be very destructive because some scholars don't put good headings in their Bible in their translations at all. But like in the NLT that I have in front of me, uh, right on top of verse two here, it says words of encouragement. Um, so yep. even just to help, tr they do those things to try and help contextualize what's happening in this chunk of scripture. Yeah. Um, some, like I said, some Bibles won't have good ones. Yeah. Like there are some, yeah, some translations out there where the scholars have put stuff in that is incredibly loaded with like their presuppositions sure. uh, and their theology, um, which aren't necessarily helpful for figuring out context. Yeah, totally. But so there you go. That has been episode 106. And I, I think before we close it. I oh think boy. it would be fair to quickly throw it out there. If you are struggling with anxiety, if yeah, you are struggling good. with uh, mental health in, in general, various different aspects of that, uh, I we would both encourage you to, to reach out. Um, mm -hmm. it, it can happen often where we feel like we've reached out and been left hanging high and dry. Uh, and so I would encourage you to not let, if you've had experiences that have left you feeling uh, like that didn't help or like so-and-so left me hanging high and dry, uh, my encouragement to you uh, as a brother in Christ would be to go and find someone mm -hmm. that won't leave you hanging high and dry. Mm -hmm. uh, we can trust that God is good and we can trust that that he can provide ways for us to to heal from these things. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would I would highly suggest to go and find someone, whether that's counselor, whether that's a therapist, whether that is a friend who can talk to you mm -hmm. um, and and to to start somewhere right mm -hmm. i'm not saying that that will be a silver bullet but to, to start talking about these things yeah and find someone who will encourage you to think about what is true what is just what is right what is pure what is admirable um yeah to start somewhere yeah. right not not saying that that will fix it and then who knows i mean god can can bring healing in many different ways that we don't expect so yeah that's good this has been episode <laughs> there you go <laughs> Thanks for listening. Hopefully that was interesting and helpful. And yeah, like Corlin said, please reach out if you need to talk to someone or even if you just have more topic ideas or questions yeah. and uh, we'll keep the podcast going. 
So talk to you next week.